welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, Ramsey Heights. I want to welcome you to our Easter services. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this doesn't feel like Easter. As a matter of fact, for Easter Sunday, this feels a little disappointing. I realize that some of you had your clothes picked out a month ago about what you were going to wear on Easter. Or ladies, you had your dresses picked out. The men were going to wear the same thing we wore three weeks ago. I know that some of you were looking forward to your family joining you at church. Easter is the only time you get to spend Sunday morning with your family at church. And I know that some of you have spent every Easter Sunday for the past 50 years in the church building. And this is the first time you've missed in a very long time. I understand how all those things could be disappointed. We might be tempted to think, this isn't the Easter that I remember, or this isn't the Easter that I want. But I want to remind you that everything I just mentioned, these things are not what we celebrate on Easter morning. This morning we are celebrating the resurrection of our King. We, We celebrate the fact that we serve a risen God who died for us and three days later came back. And I want to remind you that worship is a way of life. Worship is a way of the heart. Worship is not an event or all these other things that we mentioned. So join with me this morning in just worshiping God wherever you are and we will worship together even though we're not physically in the church building. I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 11 verse 25 with us. We started a series called Focus a couple weeks ago and we are learning about Jesus Christ and who he is. He tells us in John seven different times, he says, I am, and then he reveals something about himself to us. And so this focus series is all about really focusing on Jesus. Do we have a complete picture of who Jesus was and how that affects us today? Or do we have just some made up version of Jesus in our mind? John Piper once put out a a challenge. He said, go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. said, read all of the red words, every word that Jesus said, and then ask yourself, is this the Jesus that I believe in or have I recreated him? This point of this focus series is that we are hoping to understand truly who Jesus is, how amazing he is in every part of him by what he tells us about himself. So John chapter 11 verse 25, read along with me. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die believest thou this. So Jesus tells us about himself this morning. He says, I am the resurrection. In order to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need the context of the story. I didn't want to read the whole thing, but I want to tell you the the basic story here that goes on through the beginning of chapter 11. Jesus has some very close friends, followers of his, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And they send word to him while Jesus is out along the countryside. He's healing, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's doing the work that he was sent here to do. They send word to him and said, Lazarus is sick. Now the idea was if we tell Jesus Lazarus is sick, we know he has healing power. He will come back, he will heal Lazarus, and our brother will not die. Jesus makes a decision, one that even his disciples didn't quite understand at the time. Jesus makes the decision not to go to Lazarus. And he reveals to his disciples that at some point this is going to bring glory to God. 
By the time Jesus does arrive where Lazarus is, Lazarus is not only dead, but Lazarus has been buried for four days. Now, that's an important fact to look at. The Jews, it was a, it was a wrong belief, but the Jews had this common belief that the soul lingered around the body for up to three days. And the fact that somebody was dead longer than three days meant that there was no hope. Now, we don't really know why they believed that, probably because they didn't have the medical understanding that we do now, but that was a common belief among the Jews at this particular time. So when Jesus shows up, and he's about to bring Lazarus back to life, this is not just saying, oh, I woke Lazarus up. Lazarus is dead, like dead, dead. And Jesus is going to prove his power over death in this. But before he does that, Mary runs out to I'm sorry, not Mary. Mary stays in the house. Martha runs out to him, and she comes up to him crying, and she says, Jesus, if you hadn't been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's basically telling him, I lost everything because you didn't come quick enough. Now, Jesus, quick to console and comfort her, he says, your brother will rise again. Your brother will be resurrected. And Mary said, or Martha says to him, no, no, Jesus, not now. She says, I know that Lazarus will be risen on the last day, that he will be resurrected on the last day with all of the saints and all the believers in you. She said, but that doesn't help me now. And Jesus takes this moment to correct her, and he says, I want you to think about this. And this is what he says to her, this Bible verse that we just read, I am the resurrection and the life. He's correcting her train of thought in this context. Then he goes on and he goes to the grave where Lazarus is buried and he calls to him, Lazarus, come out of there. And here comes Lazarus fully alive after being dead and buried for four days. So what can we learn about Jesus from this story where he corrects Martha and says, I am the resurrection. What does this mean? Well, resurrection deals with a transition. It deals with the transition between life and death. The normal way we transition between life and death is we have life and we transition to death when we die. Resurrection is the exact reverse of that concept. Resurrection means that you are in death, but you transfer to life. And so Jesus says, I am the power that allows the transfer from death to life. I want to focus on this concept of death and life and these two words, they're polar opposites. When you look in the Bible, the word death has a connotation of separation. And when we think about death at its very basic form, isn't it just being separated? Death is when our soul is separated from our physical body. So from now on, I'm going to be using the word death and separation interchangeably because it means the exact same thing. Now, if death means separation, what's the exact opposite of death? Well, it's life, of course. And so if death means separation and the opposite of death is life, then life must mean when something is together, when something is unified. Aren't we alive today because our soul and our body are currently connected, even though we know we will one day transition to the different way? So this understanding of death being separation and life being things put together is what's going to allow us to understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is reassuring Martha. He's saying, I can fix this. I can bring back together Lazarus's soul and Lazarus's body. And what he's really saying to Martha and what Martha's really concerned about is, I can bring back the separation between you and your brother, I can bring you two back together. Now, Jesus, when he performed a miracle, he always used it as a teaching moment. So he's challenging Martha's understanding of death and life and her understanding of resurrection. Look at the difference in how Martha viewed resurrection and how Jesus viewed resurrection. Martha viewed resurrection as an event. She says, in the last day, when the resurrection happens, Lazarus will rise again. I understand this. She thought of it as a time and an event that would happen. 
Isn't that how we view our relationship with Jesus? Like in the future, when the event happens, I will be in heaven. On the last day, I will be resurrected. To us, it is an event. But Jesus corrects her. Jesus says, resurrection isn't an event. Resurrection is a person. Now, how can resurrection, if resurrection means to pass from death to life, how can that be a person? Well, it's very simple. Jesus is teaching us something about himself here. He's saying, I am the power that causes death to run away from life. I am the power that causes life to come from someone who has died. That's a crazy statement because we understand death and life. We understand power differently than Jesus is trying to teach it. For Jesus to say, I am the power that brings life from death is very odd to us. Now the reason for that is, is in our society, we think of power as something that you get and you possess. Think of it this way. It's a Marvel movie character reference. Think about all of these comic book heroes. Their power never comes from within them. Iron Man gets his power as a superhero from this suit that he builds, and he only becomes Iron Man when he puts the suit on. Spider-Man only became Spider-Man when he was bitten by a spider that gave him power. The same thing happens with Captain America, who only becomes a super soldier when he's given a serum. Power was given to them, and then they maintain power. Jesus does not say, I have the power of resurrection. Jesus says, I am the power of resurrection. I am the power that brings life from death. It's a weird concept for us. Oh, what does this mean to us? What do we learn from Jesus saying, I am the power that brings life from death? Well, it's a very sad thing to think about on Easter morning, but we're all going to experience death at some point. I hope I didn't burst your bubble. It doesn't matter what your age is, there will come a time when you face the eventuality of your soul being separated from your body. You will face the separation of death. We're told that is a fact because of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and because of that, they brought death on all of us through our sin. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. You might think of that as what you earn by not obeying God is separation. Now, when we think of separation, we're thinking of physical separation, when our soul separates from our body, but there's more to the separation, there's more to death than just when our soul leaves our body. Francis Schaeffer said that there are five kinds of separation that are detailed in the death of Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis. The first thing he said, obviously, there is the physical separation. They were told, you will eventually die. You won't remain on this earth forever. But there were other consequences to sin, other separations that happened. Secondly, he says, there was a psychological separation. That Adam and Eve were separated, their view of themselves versus who God made them. See, Adam and Eve had been completely content in the Garden of Eden. All of their cares taken care of, all of their needs met. But the moment they disobeyed God, the moment they sinned, they looked at themselves and they felt shame. They covered themselves with fig leaves because they looked at themselves for once and said, I am naked. Never before had they gazed upon themselves and said, I have nakedness or I have shame. So psychologically, they no longer see themselves as God's creation. They are no longer content with just being who God made them. Now they look at themselves and they see their deficiencies, their lack of clothes. For you and me, while we also experience the separation of physical death, we ex experience the same separation psychologically. Do we not have self-esteem issues? Do we not um, 
deal with panic and worry and anxiety. We still deal with this today. Thirdly, he says there was a social separation that Adam and Eve were separated from each other because of their disobedience from God. Death entails social separation. You notice when God asked Adam what happened, what does he do? He takes his wife and he throws her under the bus. He said, God, that woman that you gave me made me do this. See, immediately when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they turned on each other. In our world today, don't we see ourselves turning on each other, whether it's by political party, racism, nationalism, just people we dislike, they do it differently than me? We turn on each other because we experience the social separation as a result of the sin that we have committed. Fourthly, he says that Adam and Eve experienced environmental death or environmental separation. See, Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, and one of the consequences of sinning, one of the consequences of disobeying God is they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. God takes Adam aside and he says, no longer will you just gather fruit off trees that I provided for you. You will have to farm and toil to grow your own food. And he says, because of your sin, the earth will produce thorns and thistles that will grow and you will constantly fight these thorns and thistles while you try to get food. This is part of the curse of sin, experiencing environmental separation. We've seen a lot of that lately, haven't we? We've seen a lot of bad weather here in Arkansas. Tornadoes have been coming through. Luckily, nobody has died yet. We also see the environment turning on us with coronavirus as it attacks our very bodies and tries to cause that physical separation. We are at odds and separated from our environment that we once lived in unison with. But most importantly, the fifth separation, the fifth aspect of this death that Adam and Eve got is a spiritual separation from God. In Genesis chapter 3, God is walking in the Garden of Eden. He walked among man just like they, they were walking together. And Adam and Eve, when they hear him, they hide from him. For the first time, they were separated from God. From this point forward, in the Old Testament, God no longer dwells with man. God dwells in the tabernacle in a special place called the Holy of Holies, separated from mankind, because our sin separates us from God. This is the state that we all currently live in. We live in this constant state of separation, this constant state of death. If I were to look into this camera and tell you today that you're dead, it's a it's I'm sorry, it's the truth. You might not think that it is, but you and I currently live in this state of separation and state of death. But all that changes. Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I am the resurrection. I am the power that causes death to transfer to life. I am the power that causes separation to transfer into unity. I'm the power that brings back together what death separates. So when he says, I am, the, I am the power, this is what he's saying, that he can bring back all of the separation we existed. We know that one day we will see Jesus undo the physical separation of body and soul. But think about what Jesus does for us currently. How many marriages that were socially separated because we throw each other in the bus, how many marriages have been healed? How many relationships have been healed? How many people have forgiven parents or siblings or friends when the power of Jesus comes into their life and teaches them to forgive and love? Is it not also true that when we become Christians that we experience 
peace. It's one of the best things about being a Christian is the peace that God gives us. That is Jesus Christ and the power of taking us from this life of death and separation to this life of putting us back together. It's one of the things that Jesus gives us is He undoes our psychological separation by giving us peace and who He called us to be. Our life with God is now. We can live fully the way Jesus Christ intended for us to because when you add the power of Jesus Christ to something that is dead, something that is separated, He can't help but put it back together. In the late 1700s, there was a man named John Newton. You knew a story was coming, and you know by now this probably has to do with a hymn. So see if you can figure it out. John Newton was like the rest of us. He lived a life of death. He lived a life of these five separations, spiritually separated from God, separated from others. He lived what most of us would think was a horrible life. See, John Newton was a slave trader. What he would do is he would take his ship down to Africa, he would load it full of slaves, and he would ship them back to England. Even in a moral society, a society full of death, people looked down on John Newton for his livelihood. Now, in order to do this, you had to view slaves as cargo. You couldn't view them as people. So, being a slave trader, we can only assume that he treated slaves very horribly, shackling them, perhaps even beating them to keep order on a ship as he took them into captivity. John Newton also had a hatred, probably because of some pain from his childhood, had a hatred of Christians. And one of his favorite things to do was challenge Christians and try to get them to doubt their faith, mocking them for their belief in God. But what happens when you add the power of Jesus Christ into a life surrounded by death and separation like John Newton lived? Well, see, John Newton narrowly escaped death several times. As a young boy, he was riding a horse when he was thrown off. He barely missed falling on an iron fence that had spikes on the top. He would have impaled himself and died. Another time, he was restrained from getting to a ship. He missed his ship, and he stood on the dock as he watched the ship that he was looking for. He watched it sink, and he watched everybody on board drown. He was spared. Maybe the most intense moment in his life is when he was captain of a ship. It was hauling regular cargo and not slaves. And as the storm was coming upon him, the ship tossed and turned. He lost structural integrity of the hull. What that means is that the ship began to leak and he's in the middle of the ocean. It spells certain death for him and his crew. John Newton cried out to a God that he didn't believe in, one that he had openly mocked. And he said, God, we're hopeless. You've got to do something. Miraculously, as the ship went over the waves, the cargo shifted up against the hole where the leak was coming in, where the water was flowing in, and it sealed the hole. There's no explanation for cargo shifting that drastically and falling perfectly to stop a leak in a ship. John Newton later said, that was the hour that I first believed. Well, John Newton, through a series of events in his life, changed. He had a stroke and he was no longer allowed to be the captain of a ship. He had physical um, disabilities that kept him from going to sea and he ended up a minister. And listen to this. This is the amazing part of this story. John Newton's main part of his ministry, along with leading people to Christ, along with discipling people, was fighting the institution of slavery. 
He became an abolitionist. What causes a man to pass from the life of death and separation where he hates Christians to becoming a minister and a leader of Christians? What causes a man to come from be a slave trader to go to an abolitionist who fights against the slave trade? That is the power of Jesus Christ when he takes us from life to death. I'm sorry, from death to life. When he takes us from death to life. He heals us completely. And this is what Jesus does in us. Now, John Newton wrote a song about his transformation from death to life, about the power of Jesus Christ in him. The first verse goes like this. It says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Listen to what he talks about when he says the transition. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. See, John Newton experienced God's power in transforming his life. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection, that's what he's talking about. He wants to transform our life from a life of death to a life of pure living with him. How amazing is that to think about? John Newton looked back on his life and he thought, this was only grace that kept me long enough for God to pursue me and transform me. Jesus continually proves his power, proves that he is the resurrection. He proved it when he called a dead man out of a grave in Lazarus. He proved it in the, the transformation in the life of John Newton, in the transformation of my life and your life. This is Jesus talking, this is Jesus' resurrection power, his power to pass us from death to life. He also proved it in what we celebrate today. He proved it 2,000 years ago on a cross. See, Jesus experienced all of the death and separation that you and I experience. Listen to this. Think about the story that you're used to hearing on Easter. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, full of anxiety and panic and worry, crying out to God, struggling with what he knew God wanted him to do and what he wanted to do, struggling with the fact that he would go to the cross. Isn't that uh, psychological? Isn't that worry and anxiety like we talked about? Jesus experienced social separation as the creation that he created and loved and was dying for him cheered and spit on him as he suffered. They celebrated his death. He experienced spiritual separation when he was on the cross and God turned away from him and Jesus yelled out, Why have you forsaken me? For the first time in his life, he was separate from God. This is my favorite. He experienced environmental separation. Those very thorns that were prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 that were going to grow out of the ground, they were cut down and woven into a crown. And the crowd mocking him put this crown of thorns upon his head. He experienced the separation between mankind and the environment around us. And then as he hung on the cross, he took a deep breath and he screamed, It is finished. And he experienced physical death. Now see, Jesus, who is the resurrection, who is the life, who has the power over death, He experienced your death so that you could experience His life. He did that for you. He did that for me so that we could experience this transformation from death to life. Not just heaven, but in the present when He starts to undo all of the separation that we experience because of the original sin in the garden. And he proved his power over life and death. Three days later, when the stone rolled away, 
and of his own power, he walked out of that grave. That's what we celebrate this morning. That's what Easter is about. We're celebrating the power of Christ as the resurrection. Now, some of you are watching this, and this makes you just a little bit uncomfortable. The fact that Jesus' power means a transformation in our life, that when we become followers of Christ, that He changes our life from a life of death to a life of life, I guess you could say. You're a little bit uncomfortable with this. For, for you, Jesus is just a guy. Jesus is a story, and it's Easter, so you're like, yeah, that's a good story. It's miraculous power that Jesus comes back from the, de- from the grave. For some of us, it's a habit. I go to church on these certain days because one day I'm going to go to heaven. For some of us, that's all Jesus is. He's a ticket to heaven. And you're uncomfortable with this fact that Jesus is a transformation, that Jesus is a power of transformation that comes into your life and changes everything about you, that changes the life that you live. You're uncomfortable with that, and you don't really know what to do with it. But you know this morning that something is missing from your understanding of Jesus and something is missing from your commitment to Jesus. You might have said the words. You might have even been baptized. Maybe some pastor somewhere told you that you would become a follower of Christ, but you've never experienced the transformation. And you're watching this this morning and you know that something's missing in your life. You're not quite ready to make those steps yet. I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like somebody's watching this, that you feel that way, but you're not ready to take the next step yet. And I want to invite you to do this. I've got something that's going to help you understand this more deeply. Every day this week at 8 o'clock a.m., we're going to post a video of someone who explains their transformation from death to life. We've got mafia bosses. We have former models who walked away from a Hollywood life, even... Listen to this. Even a pastor's son who went to church all of his life thinking he was saved. And he talks about this. All of the stories start differently. It all starts with a story of separation from God. It starts with a story of death. But all of their stories become eerily the same when they experience the power of Jesus Christ. I hope that you will tune in and watch and learn and listen for how they describe the transformation that Jesus causes them to go through. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, God, this morning we worship you. We thank you that you loved us enough to die on that cross for us. But God, we thank you that you are the power that overcomes death. Lord, we worship you and we pray that each of us, that you will cause us to come closer to you. God, get rid of the separations in our life. God, remove the curse of death from us. Lord, teach us to be more like you every day. God, I pray that whoever is watching this that needs to hear this and has not understood this transformation, God, I just pray that you'll open their hearts, that they will learn more about you. God, that they will come to be a true follower of you and experience your power as you transform them. Lord, we love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, that is it for today. I cannot wait to be back with you. Until then, God bless. God bless.